I accepted Christ back in high school. Okay, here's a picture of me back in high school. And, and things, I know, in all my sophomore year coolness. So, so I accepted Christ, and parts of my life started to change right away. I, I started attending church for the first time ever in my life. Um, I started reading my Bible. First, I had to buy a Bible because I didn't have one. Uh, and, then I, and then I tried to be nice to people. I tried to be loving to people at school, my, my teammates on the water polo team. And so some things in my life started to change right away. But there were other parts of my life that were completely unaffected by Jesus. Probably one of the biggest part of my life was my dating life. I loved dating. And I dated a lot. I mean, a lot. I was a bit of a player back then. And, and I loved it, and I was, I was just dating girls all over the place. And, and this continued, this continued for a good couple of years as a new believer, until my youth pastor finally sat me down and said, okay, Greg, I gotta be honest. You think with your crotch. You have left a trail of broken hearts throughout this whole youth group. I was like, oh. And then from that day, I started to rethink how I approached women. Well, now fast forward five years from there, Peng Fu and I get married, and it started out really rough. Our first few years of marriage, it was, it was pretty tough. Because you see, when we'd get in a fight, I would kind of emotionally and relationally shut down. Sometimes I would get overwhelmed. Sometimes I would get angry. Once I even punched a hole through our apartment wall because I didn't know what to do with the emotions that were going on inside me. I had virtually zero awareness of my interior world. She would ask me um, what I was feeling and I couldn't answer that question. I, know I, was, I knew I was feeling stuff, but I couldn't tell her what. I couldn't talk about. But if you think about it, how could I? My family didn't do emotions. We talked about ideas, plans, events, things, but we didn't talk about emotions. And so I had zero emotional skills and pretty much zero emotional intelligence going into marriage. Well, now fast forward to about 10 years ago when my mom passed away. She died of complications after a surgery and I didn't really cry. In fact, I did her funeral. Not only did we have to plan the funeral, but my family is not a religious family and, and I had to actually do the, the service. But it took me a good six months before I finally broke down in tears. It took me six months before I allowed myself to feel the full weight of her loss. Because you see, I didn't do really well with grief and loss. I didn't handle those types of emotions well. So, why do I tell you these stories? Because these are all examples of living with what could be called a lack of emotionally healthy spirituality. 
I was a deeply committed Christian this whole time. But there were behaviors in my life that were completely unaffected by Jesus. There were parts of my house where I just locked away the doors and didn't let Jesus in. I was emotionally immature. I was kind of emotionally stunted. I was not nearly as developed as a 24, 25 year old should be. I had no concept of how my family of origin impacted me as an adult. No concept. And then I didn't know how to deal with hard emotions, like grief and loss. So this is what we're gonna be talking about for the next few weeks. Through the month of September, we're gonna be talking about this new series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in essence, here it is in one sentence. This is learning how to love God well and love others well. You see, there is a crisis in the church. There is a crisis of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. But I don't think I need to convince you of that because you've seen it also. Why do I know it's true? Well, first, because we do church life together. And I've heard the stories. You've hurt people in this church. And people in this church have hurt you. I know because it's before and I that folks usually turn to for help to kind of pick up the pieces after a fight, after a disagreement, after harsh words. Two, because a lot of you have been hurt by other churches. It's an unfortunate reality of today's age where a lot of folks have been hurt by the church and by Christians. And I know that's true for a lot of you. Because let's be honest, churches can be pretty messed up places because Christians can be pretty messed up people. Judgmental, narrow-minded, culturally driven. And one thing that I love about River Life is that this is a place that a lot of you have found to be safe, to come back to church and to reconnect with God. A lot of you have been hurt by churches. And if that's not enough, all the research supports it. Listen, here's a quote from the Gallup organization. The research is there. Evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. That comes up in research over and over and over again. Nearly all of the stats are identical between Christians and non-Christians. What this means is that Jesus is having little impact on our actual lives and the decisions we make. There is a crisis of emotionally unhealthy spirituality around the church in general, and yeah, here at River Life. See, we're only allowing God into the tip of the iceberg. 
And if you know anything about icebergs, they, they say that only 10 or 15% of the iceberg is above the surface. Most of the iceberg is below the surface. And we're only letting God into the very tip of the iceberg. And this whole iceberg under the water that remains completely untouched and unredeemed by Jesus Christ. And that's the stuff that is causing church divisions, that is causing people to leave the church, that is causing fights within our church right now. It's not the above the water stuff. It's the below the water stuff that is completely untouched and unredeemed by Jesus Christ. And that's what happens in our lives. I, 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 read, I recently read a quote from a, a, a church member back in New York. And he said this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. I wonder how much that describes some of us. When I look at my own life, I, I tend to think that I grow and then I plateau for a while. I become a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old Christian, but then I, can, I stay a three-year-old Christian for a while until something rocks my world and challenges me and start to get below the surface to the deep parts of my iceberg. And I think that happens with a lot of us. So what does this look like? What does emotionally healthy or emotionally unhealthy spirituality actually look like in us? Well, here are 10 signs. Here are 10 ways it plays out. First, denying the ways your family of origin has impacted who you are today. Two, ignoring conflict or avoiding hard conversations. Three, being overly critical or judgmental of others' behaviors, lifestyle, or spiritual walk. Four, ignoring difficult emotions like anger, sadness, fear, grief. Five, needing recognition from people for doing things like serving in church or helping someone out. Six, being okay with hurtful behavior toward your parents, siblings, your spouse, or your kids. Seven, thinking about God when you're doing Christian stuff, but kind of forgetting about him the rest of the time when you're doing your stuff. Eight, being very reactive, getting easily angered, frustrated, or wanting to give up. Nine, not being able to say no, even when you want to or you should. And 10, simply not growing in your faith year after year after year. But do any of those sound like you? Any of those resonate with your life these days? I think so. They do with me. And see, if that's true, then it's likely that there's a huge part of your iceberg that if you're a believer, you are not letting Jesus into. And you're keeping Jesus on the surface. 
We have a nice surface level Christianity. That's nice and easy. But we're not letting Jesus into the deep things of life. Well, if this does sound like you, you're in good company. The Bible is full of people with flaws, immaturities, and failures. And when it comes to the idea of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, there's one guy that sure stands out, and that's King Saul. Decided to go to a little manga today. So King Saul ruled around 1000 BC. He was Israel's first king. And, and he, so he was, he was gifted. He was anointed. He was chosen by God. He, he was a skilled, successful military and political leader. He was tall, handsome, and charismatic. I mean, he checked all the boxes. He had it all going on. Except he also had deep-seated character flaws. He was dishonest, prideful, and he lacked integrity. See, he had deep issues, but shallow spirituality. And that is a dangerous combination. Deep issues and shallow spirituality is a dangerous combination. And it eventually led to his downfall. So today we're going to look at a, a section of scripture that I call kind of the beginning of the end. King Saul. Because King Saul had a great rise to power. He was loved and successful, successful military campaigns, the whole bit. And then he started to fall. He started to descend. And it got really bad. He started to descend into jealousy, vindictive behavior, even madness. And the story we're going to look at today was the peak. It was the beginning of the end for King Saul. So we can, we can find this in 1 Samuel 15. And here's the background. Israel was in the promised land. God had, had commanded them to conquer the land and the peoples in it. And they had done that successfully so far. And then Saul had won, won some really important battles he was a war hero. Everyone was, was cheering him on. Okay? And at the beginning of the, this chapter, God tells King Saul, he says, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy what, anything that belongs to them. That was God's command. Now the Amalekites were, were one of the pretty vicious evil people groups, um, one of the, the big bad bullies of the promised land. And God said, wipe them out and destroy everything. So that's the setup. Well, Saul only obeyed half that command. He did, he did defeat the Amalekites, but he did not destroy everything they had. In fact, he kept, he and his soldiers kept the best of the sheep, the cattle, the treasures, and took it with them to eventually offer it to God. 
And then God revealed this to the prophet Samuel, who was God's prophet at the time, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And then Saul, excuse me, Samuel went to confront Saul. And that's where we pick up the story. So it's in 1 Samuel 15. Here we go. So this is, this is Samuel talking. Why did you, Saul, not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what, what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice to them, them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed or to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Dun, dun, dun. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. One of the next things we see after this is Samuel anointing David to be the future king. It takes a few years for that to happen, but this marked the beginning of the end for King Saul. So this is, actually, this is a tragic moment in Saul's life. It really is. A man with so much potential became overrun by his emotionally unhealthy spirituality. You see, this, his case is a case study. It's a perfect example of what it could look like. Here are some of the ways that his emotionally unhealthy spirituality played out. He immediately got defensive. Samuel approached him. He immediately got defensive. So for me, that's the first sign I am in for a really difficult conversation when I approach someone. If they immediately start making defenses, giving reasons, blaming others, inside I'm like, oof, this is going to be a difficult one. He, so Saul immediately got defensive. He was deluded about his own spirituality. He thought his obedience to God was up here. But in reality, his obedience to God was down here. See, he gave in to the soldiers. And he was disobedient. But he thought, he even said it. He had the gall to say directly to the prophet of God, I did obey God. When he didn't, and he clearly didn't. He was a people pleaser. He gave in to his soldiers. And I would have loved to see what that interaction was like. I, I wonder if he wrestled in his mind or he just flipped right away. 
but he gave in to the pressure of his soldiers. He was afraid of what they would think of him. He, he didn't want his army to think badly of him, to say no to them. So he said yes. He was prideful. He wanted to look good in front of his men. And this was a thread all throughout Saul's life. He was doing stuff in God's name that God never asked him to. The whole sacrificing the best ram and cattle and all of that, God never told him to do that. But he did. And he even said, God told me to do this. God never said that. He was making stuff up in his head of what he thought he should do and ignoring what God actually told him to do. Even his confession was really half-hearted. Yes, he confessed, but in the same breath, he blamed others for his sin. That's a dead giveaway. Someone really isn't owning their sin. When they make excuses, blame others, rationalize, justify, it's a dead giveaway. Ah, yeah, you're not, you don't really believe this is sin. Such was the case for Saul. And then he focused on religious acts more than obeying God. And that's what Samuel called him out for. Fundamentally, that's what Samuel called him out for. And, and he said he wasn't saying that the religious acts were bad. He actually said, shouldn't you do both? How can you be sacrificing but not obeying? You should be doing both. Well, aren't we all a little like King Saul? Come on, if you're, if you're honest, I think we've all got a little Saul in us. See, he may have been a successful commander and king, but his spiritual priorities were completely out of whack. And how many of us do that with our faith? How many of us make our faith about attending church, maybe serving in a ministry, praying before meals, reading the Bible, being nice, trying not to do bad things? And that's the extent of our Christian faith. We might even try to clean up our lives. Maybe not drink as much, quit smoking, stop cussing, or at least when you're not angry. Because when you're angry, then it's okay. How many of us do that? We fill our lives with religious acts and we completely ignore obedience and devotion. See, all of these, all of those things are just above the surface behaviors. None of those are below the surface. And that's where Jesus really wants to go. Because otherwise you're just living as shallow Christians. You're just living as above the surface Christians. 
The top 10% is Christian, but 90% of us is completely untouched by Jesus Christ. Above the water, we look like good Christians, but it doesn't take a whole lot of splashes and a whole lot of waves to reveal how beneath the surface, how unchristian, unredeemed parts of us still are. Because below the surface, we're a wreck. We're angry, defensive, selfish, and just blatantly disobedient. The church has an epic, has an epidemic of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So what's the solution? Well, I'd like to introduce you to a guy. This is Pete Scazzera. He's an Alliance pastor out in New York. And about 15 years ago, he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's based on one single premise, that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So Peng Fu and I first heard about this book a couple years ago when someone at the district office invited us to a training session, a few days of training at Pete Scazzaro's church in New York. Well, they knew with before being a therapist, those are big values, and me being like 25 years married to a therapist, I should have just have a degree by now. <laughs> and so they thought that this would really connect with how we saw life and ministry and spirituality, and it did. What we heard there was amazing. We loved it. And from that day on, two years ago, more than two years ago, we decided we have got to do this at River Life. We have got to introduce this idea into our church because we have seen emotionally unhealthy behavior over and over and over again. And so, so Pete Scazzera, in, in this book, since then he has now written seven subsequent books talking about emotionally healthy relationships and women and church and leadership and men, all different ways to live out what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like. And so he proposes a solution that combines two things, one ancient and one modern. He combines what's known as contemplative spirituality and emotional health. Now, contemplative spirituality, this is concerned with focusing, slowing down to be with God. Slowing down to be with God. And it focuses things like being aware of God's presence throughout the day. Practicing silence, solitude, and rest in God fully embracing and understanding our identity in Christ. Letting our doing for God come out of a being with God. 
and then living in a committed community that passionately loves Jesus above all else. That's a little snapshot of contemplative spirituality. And Christian monks have been practicing this, well, for 2,000 years. Now, emotional health, on the other hand, this is paying attention to what's inside us and what's around us. So it focuses on things like recognizing, naming, and managing our own feelings. Breaking free from self-destructive patterns of behavior. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. Asking for what we, we want clearly, directly, and respectfully. And then learning how to resolve conflict maturely. See, in its simplest form, emotionally healthy spirituality, the combination of contemplative spirituality and emotional health, in its simplest form, is learning how to love God well and love others well. And that is the greatest commandment Jesus left us with. So, I'm excited to announce that not only am, are we going to be talking about it on Sundays for the month of September, but we're going to be offering an emotionally healthy spirituality class starting in October. It's an eight-week class. Uh, there'll be options for Sunday afternoon after church and Tuesday evenings. Um, Childcare will be provided. It's $30 a person, and that covers, you'll get three books that are a part of it. Uh, and right now, the ministry team and the small group leaders, the life group leaders, are all going through this class right now. We are taking ourselves through it. And then come October, we will be taking all of you through it. And our desire for this class is that this is a church-wide class. Not because it's important to take classes, no. Because I want us to be a church that loves God well and loves others well. And there is nothing that I have seen and read that can address that better for our context than this material. So, so it's exciting. This class is transformative because it gives you space to allow God to penetrate deep down into that 90% below the water and allowing God to meet you in some of those dark, hidden places that you've kept him out of. This is a transformative class, and I absolutely believe that this can change the future of River Life. Not because the book is a superstar and it's a bestseller and all of that, but because God is powerful and God wants so much more than just 10% of us. There's a reason why I was sitting across the table from someone today and when I introduced myself as a pastor, which is always a really interesting thing, I get, some very, I get a whole variety of responses when I introduce myself as a pastor. And then this person said, you know, I'm going to say something that sounds controversial, but I think the church in America is part of the problem today, not the solution. And in a lot of ways, and, and she even said it, 
White evangelicals essentially elected our current president. And those who do not agree with the direction he is going, see white evangelicals and the church as part to blame for that. But she firmly was convinced that the church is part of the problem, not the solution. And I couldn't exactly disagree with her. The best I could say, it is part of the problem and part of the solution. But you know why it's part of the problem? Because we're living with 90% of our lives and ourselves and our identity unredeemed by Jesus Christ. That's why I want to do this material. That's why I want to do this series and do this class. In fact, this is so important that when we introduce membership next year, this class will actually be mandatory. It will be a requirement of membership is that you take this class. Why? Because I want a church full of people who love God and love others well. We, we cannot be a blessing. We cannot be transformative to the world around us if we are barely transformed ourselves. And this material has the potential to do that for you. So if you're, if you're concerned that you've got some deep issues and shallow faith, sign up for this class. If you found yourself on that list that I read through and you want something different for your life, get into this class. If you found you were a little more like King Saul than you'd like to admit, sign up for this class. And then come the next three weeks. We got three more Sundays where I'm talking about this and Paula's gonna be talking, she's gonna be teaching as well. So sign up, start next week. We'll have a website up, we'll have a table out in the lobby. So join me, join me on this journey as we together grow into a more emotionally healthy spiritual community together so that we can love God well and love others well. Join me in prayer. God, thank you that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. God, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ, you withhold your wrath on us. You don't give us what we really deserve. You give us the possibility. You invite us into something so much greater and as a life transformed by Jesus Christ. God, so first and foremost, Lord, as I, as I go through this class, I pray for my own faith. God, that you can deepen me. God, that you can help my doing, my lots of doing for you come out of being with you and sitting with you. Help me understand what it means and looks like to sit silently with and I pray that for all of us. God, that today, even today, you can begin stirring in each person's soul that there is something desperately wrong inside them. 
God, help them, invite them, draw them into with your gentle, gracious hand. Draw them into a life of deep spirituality. God, forgive us for having deep issues and a shallow faith. Deepen us, broaden us, rattle us, shake us so that those deep parts of our life and those deep parts of my life can be redeemed by Jesus Christ. In his name, in our Redeemer's name,